0: Welcome to this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Today, Bubba, you and I have an opportunity to visit with what, for us, uh, is an old-time friend, but for our audience, some of them may be meeting him for the first time, and that's David Nasser. David Nasser
1: of Liberty University, and David is an old friend and was a pastor here in town with us, and an old tennis buddy of mine, and David, good to see you again, man. Good to see you,
2: man. I thought about you the other day when they canceled the uh, U.S. Open. Uh Uh-huh. I thought... About our time there together, that was awesome. That yeah, was I think that trip. was
0: the last time I was almost arrested. Well, that's right. Yes, I, I remember <laughs> that that unfortunate incident. Uh, so, at least
2: in New York, have bigger fish to fry now. Than yeah, they do. Boy, they, they
0: do. do. They, they really, really do. The we, yep. we we obviously are living in some some very very unstable times. You're, you're now, as Bubba said, at Liberty University, where you're the senior vice president of spiritual development, and and we'll get into some of that, but. You know, your testimony has been on the Rick and Bubba radio show uh, before, but, you know, in this world of podcasts and now with new technology, we're fortunate and thankful to the Lord that, that the show's reaching now people that, that may not have known you. They may have never heard your story. And, and so I do want to spend some time right out of the gate of your very unique testimony uh, that you were born in Iran. Uh, you, you, your family had to flee during the Iranian Revolution, to come to America. So take us into this uh, this really incredible story and, and, and the road that you travel to get to where you are today.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, um, I was originally born in the country of Iran. And in 1979, uh, the Iranian revolution happened uh, when the Ayatollah Khomeini and his religious zealots basically uh, took over our country. And at that time, my dad was high ranked in the military. And so because of his position in the army, Uh, We were forced to escape. Um, We went from Iran uh, to Switzerland, and nobody was allowing Iranians into America at that time. So we were stuck in uh, Europe basically for nine months, trying to make it here legally, illegally, every way we could. And the doors just wouldn't open up. Um, And after about nine months in Europe, one day my mom got us together as a family and said— I've got an idea. She said, since we want to go to America... Now, you got to realize, we were Shiite Muslims. But she said, since we want to go to America, and America is a Christian country, we ought to pray to the the God of America, the American God, and ask him to let us into his country. So she showed us a picture of a white guy with a beard and a mullet, kind of a Duck Dynasty-looking fellow. And she said, this is Jesus, and uh, he's American, and we should ask him to let us into his country. So... And we held hands and we asked American Jesus something like, you know, please let us into your country. And uh, I know that's weird because Jesus is originally more from my neck of the woods than y'all's neck of the woods. Right. No doubt. No doubt. He's more camel dynasty than duck dynasty. Yeah. <laughs> tell you, um, God, God, heard our, God heard our prayers. And long before we knew him, he knew us. And a week after we mentioned his name, the doors opened up and we came to America's refugees. Uh, the fancy term was political asylum, but we were refugees. And so guys, I got here and uh, it was during the uh, Iranian revolution. So people were watching on TV how 54 Americans were held hostage in the American embassy in Iran. And so we were from the wrong place at the wrong time, trying to make it to, you know, trying to make a new start. And so for years, I was this outcasted kid. I was a kid that went to school every day and heard all the nicknames and the 7-Eleven jokes and the turban jokes and the What's the dot on the forehead? Cable hookup jokes. I got called bean dip every day, and I'm not even Mexican. I was like, <laughs> you're, not, you're not even accurate in your racism. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, you, you
1: you hate if you don't yeah. even have your 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 slurs proper. Right. You know, you want them right. to be factual. Use the right
2: slur. Don't don't let accuracy get in the way of a of a good stab. You know. Yeah. And so, man, for years I was this outcasted kid, um, and uh, until. My freshman year in high school is about to start, actually at Vestavia Hills, of all places. And so um, I knew I was about to go to high school, and I was sitting there uh, in my room crying. My dad heard me. He came in, said, what's wrong? And I told him, I said, Dad, I don't like it in America. I'm not blending in. High school just means a bigger level of persecution. And he felt sorry for me. And so to try to help me, he took me to the mall, gave me a makeover, basically. And I went to school the next day and instantly, um, you know, I found a way to play popularity. And I found out that people sometimes care more about the label that you wear and the car that you drive more than who you really are and your character. And so high school became very different for me. They became the years where I partied a lot. I got in with the right crowd. I learned how to play the game. I learned how to dump the right girl before she could dump me, how to end up at the right lunchroom table, all that stuff. But honestly, it's so true where it says in the Bible, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world but to forfeit his soul? Because at least when I was a nobody, I was uh, David Nasser, the nobody. But I completely sold my identity just to find friends. And I graduated from high school popular, but I graduated pretty emotionally bankrupt, you know. So I barely graduated from high school. I had a 1.9 GPA. I'm a Bama fan, so I always like to kid and say, not even Auburn will accept you with that. (laughs) (laughs) The man, I barely get in, barely, uh, you know, get out of high school. And and about two weeks after high school, um, one night, this is a weird part of my story, but one night I was in the car in front of my house at almost midnight on a Saturday night, uh, smoking weed with a buddy of mine. We were passing a joint back and forth. And, uh, my buddy invited me to church, <laughs> it sounds weird, but that's so Southern culture. I was telling him how, like all our friends had graduated and we had nowhere to go. And he said, you ought to come to church with me tomorrow. And it was weird. Cause he's like literally handing me a joint while he's inviting me to church. Sure. And, uh, and so the church happened to be Shays Mountain Baptist church. Yeah. And so, uh, I ended up going to church the next day and, um, that youth group, well, let me rephrase that, that youth ministry saw me come in and they just saw the Great Commission. You know, they saw me as a lost person. who was valuable to God. And next thing you know, man, they started coming to my house. They had this thing called Monday night visitation. And so for eight Monday nights in a row, they came to my house and shared the gospel with me. And every Wednesday night and every Sunday, they'd come to my house and drag me to church. And one night I was sitting there and The pastor, uh, Dr. Carter, was preaching the gospel and uh, I felt convicted and I tried to get away from the conviction and I went home and um, God's spirit just followed me home. And I was 18 and two months old uh, when I gave my life to Christ. And so, yeah, that's how the Lord saved me, really just through the testimony of a church that was faithful uh, to to see me as a person that was, uh, you know, somebody that God loved and they wanted to share the gospel with.
1: So, David, for the second time in your life, you prayed to American Jesus.
2: <laughs> right. That's this,
0: right. This time. But <laughs> that's na- right. But Nasser— Okay,
1: that's a great story. And,
0: I do, like. yeah, and, and it's incredible, but the part of you leaving Iran, I, yeah. I know it's a, 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 it's pretty apparent in your story that you probably weren't a devout Muslim. But I, yeah. I assume, in knowing your story, but your father was a little bit of a different story— I,
2: I, I, this, but the, you knew yeah. you knew the religion you knew the religion it,
0: but, and you knew this wasn't going to go over well with your dad
2: right it's it's kind of like people that show up christians that show up at easter and yeah. for the christmas eve service yeah we were shiite by heritage right yeah uh the most devout my father ever was as a muslim was the night i became a christian and i told him i'm a christian he was like you can't be a christian We're muslims and i was like we are right yeah? oh yeah yeah okay mm-hmm. And, and to him, it was his pride. You know, he had left Iran. He'd lost his heritage. He'd lost his pedigree. He'd lost his position, his fortune. And now because of his prodigal son, he'd lost his faith. Right. You know, and so they instantly became pretty devout. And that was a, that was a class, clash of cultures more than anything else for my dad. But they thought, honestly, they thought, you know, David's been through stages in his life. He's got a tennis racket because he wanted to be Andre Agassi and it never panned out. He's got a guitar because he wants to be Eddie Van Halen and it never panned out. Let him have a Bible and he'll get over it. But they didn't realize when you really give your life to Christ, it's not like a spiritual cold that you catch and it goes away. You know, it's not like a high that wears off. It's it's a new identity. And I think the night that I went to get baptized was the night that they knew like he was willing to let this cost him, you know, whatever it needs to cost him.
0: You know, one of the things you said about that, you know, dealing with, you know, you talked about cultural Christianity. We're doing a Bible study in the Wednesday Bible study about that right now. And then, of course, your dad and your family were what we would call cultural Muslims. And, and you see that uh, happen a lot. It is interesting that somebody who likely was a cultural Christian was used by God to get you into church where there were real Christians. And I certainly right. i don't know what happened to that individual, but maybe for him too. But but when, when, you, when you think about what you just said about this, this new life, and you were willing to let it cost you whatever it would cost you. I think there's a, a, a version of that in America. I know it was for me in cultural Christianity. I certainly didn't have to give up, you know, my my heritage. I didn't have to give up, you know, the religion that I was raised in. But in a different way, I did because one of the things I think we we realize that it's difficult for people is that the gospel and 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 a, a repentance of sin and the submission mm-hmm. to the authority of Christ will cost you your sin. and right. And I know for me, my biggest problem with that is I wasn't sure that I was ready to love Jesus more than I love sin.
2: 100%. I think, you know, uh, we see it at liberty. You know, we're one of the most religious hotbeds in the world. And um, the, the average student that comes our way has some form of churchianity at the very least all the way down to some of the godliest men and women that 18-year-olds that have the spiritual maturity of a 50-year-old, you know. But, I mean, last year, guys, at Liberty, uh, we saw right at 1,000 of our students come to Christ. Exactly. Um, And that's just good kids who realize once they get there that you're never going to be good enough. Moral kids that have equated Christianity with uh, Jesus with like a behavior police or Christianity with... Someone who makes them counter culture. Add on top of that, that uh, our university is kind of known for, you know, Christian with a capital C and then conservative with a non capital C. Yeah. And you got a lot of kids who come in and just kind of think because they're good conservative kids, meaning they're pro gun, pro life, pro, you know, like that and they go to church, and they went to youth camp, and disciple now, disciple later, see the polls, see the spring. They come in with this merit badge mentality of all the things they've done, and then you, you present to them just a radical grace of God. And we just see religious kids all the time uh, come to Christ. What, what is one of
0: the things, when you talk about a college campus now, so, yeah. and this, this is any college campus and you and I both know, Bubba, you know, just because it's a Christian college and a conservative college doesn't mean that suddenly these, uh, these people, men and women of this age, you know, they're hung in that awkward stage. I remember that stage. I know you guys do too. You know, uh, Alice Cooper said it best. I'm not a boy, but I'm not a man strange, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm not a girl, but I'm not a woman. And you're you're trying to work your way out of out of that boy girl to man woman, and it's a very awkward period. And you're trying to figure out like the faith, you know. Yeah. As you said, you know, I don't know who had the quote, but God doesn't have grandchildren. So now, you know, did my heritage make me a Christian? You know, and, and you know where what is what is my faith based on? But but beyond that, just what are the things you see? Because this generation, and I'm sure this has been said in the past, but I have kids that are college age and. And the, what are the things that you see them struggling with, having to overcome? What do you see with this generation of college students facing their country and the world they see now?
2: Well, I mean, it's, it's great that you both, you know, Rick, Bill, Rick and Bob, it's great that you guys both know that we are not immune. You know, you see it as parents. You see it as people that are invested in your church. We're certainly, as Christians, not immune to everything else that's happening in this world. We just have a way to let it not hijack our identity. We have a way to, you know, face that temptation that comes our way. But I'd say, day in, day out, um, the number one thing that we deal with with our young ladies is self image. I think there's the spirit of comparison where they're constantly feeling less than because they see people's highlight reel on Instagram and everyone looks skinnier and cooler and, you know, Pinterest out on Instagram and they're, they live very regular lives. And so they're constantly feeling less than, they're constantly feeling not beautiful. They're constantly feeling like, you know, they're failures. And so with our women, the number one issue at Liberty is the same as anywhere else in the world. It's identity, you know, it's, is um, being secure in who Christ has made them. With our men, it's sexual purity, and again, we're not we're not immune to anything else. And when I say that, by the way, I'm not just talking about our student body. I'm talking about our faculty, our staff. Yeah. I'm talking about we have 1,100 community group leaders at Liberty. Uh, we have 300 um, sh- resident shepherds. Those are spiritual leaders on campus. We have um, we have 284 MKs. These are missionary kids that are on scholarship there, and they're no different too. I mean sexual purity is probably the number one temptation for our men. And so um, those are the two in the front, but they're both symptoms really of, uh, of allowing sin to hijack your life. You know, they're both symptoms of um, a, a hunger for God trying to be quenched with, uh, with the wrong fountains in life, you know? And so it's when we get practical with our students Uh, what we've learned is uh, that's where we realize how serious they really are with dealing with their sin. You know, when a guy comes to me and says, Hey, Pastor David, I, I just have this battle and it keeps kicking my butt, you know, with my phone and this and this, I go, man, give your phone to your roommate. Like, don't, don't have a laptop, don't have a phone, you know, and that's not going to solve, that's going to start to deal with the symptoms and we got to get to the heart of man. But like give up your phone, give up, Like, only have your laptop in public spaces. And then they think you're a legalist because you're actually asking them to pursue holiness and mm-hmm. be proactive. You know, Ooh, boy,
0: you just um, hit on a the topic there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I but, mean, boy, one so of the, I think there's a yeah. lot of that.
2: And can I just say we have 88 combos a year and uh, we have some of the greatest voices in the world that come our way. You've been there, Rick. God used you greatly when you came to preach and, Last year, we went back and looked at it. And last year, um, 78% of the preachers that came our way came and told our students how they're loved by God. It's more than the mistakes they make. It's more than the you know, decisions, that, which is all true. But you know, 12% called our students to holiness, called our students to action to live out their faith, to sweat it out of their pores of their life. And so we decided, you know, it's just not enough to you have to have grace and truth. You have to have responsibility. You know, Adrian Rogers said responsibility is our response to his ability. And so we started calling our students to live out their faith and, um, you know, out of grace, not out of works, not to attain it. But um, and the acid test for our students is. If you really are serious about growing deeper, uh, then it's gonna have to start costing you something.
0: Amen. And da-
1: David, yeah. let me let me ask you too, this this may be an unfair question and I'm gonna have to use terms that some people don't like, but I don't know how else to, to describe it. it. It it seems to me overall when you get to education, a lot of the people in education tend to be more liberal. Okay. They they look Absolutely. at things a little bit different. Even in uh, our, our schools that are that are religious schools and backed by that, um, you know because we have a lot of interns come in here and some of them uh, attend other schools not as big as Liberty but uh, with the same purpose and they tell us some of the things that they're taught in class uh, mm-hmm. by their Bible teachers and I, I'm aghast when I hear it. I think there's no way that can actually be taught what how do you how do you combat that or how do you how do you yeah. guys look at that?
2: yeah, that's a great question uh, When I first got here at Liberty, honestly um, there we weren't able to major on the majors as much as we wanted to because we were just majoring on the majors and the minors mm-hmm. and so we had like this diversified portfolio of where we were spending our spiritual leadership energy meaning there was a whole lot of energy on whether you could speak in tongues or not or whether, you know, um, these secondary things that were not major things. And so what we did is we made a very short list of the non-negotiables. Right. You know, what is open hand and what is closed hand? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the things that we're going to hold serve on no matter what? You know, um, the inerrancy of Scripture, mm-hmm. uh, The exclusivity of Christ as the only way of salvation, you know, Um the, uh, the the Virgin Birth, like what what are the non-negotiables? And then so what we said is especially at Liberty, uh, Bubba, because we have ninety-one nations represented in every denomination, right? Right. Right. Um, by the way, every denomination from every part of the world. Talk to a Southern Baptist from Jamaica. It looks very different than a Southern Baptist from Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. different from Southern <laughs> Baptist in Birmingham. Yeah. So so rather than trying to contextualize all of that we came in and came down with a very short list of the majors. And we said, these are the things we're going to major on. And everything else, everything else, we're going to teach you what we believe the God, the God's word is saying about this topic. And, and we can disagree wholeheartedly, but we're going to hang on to what we believe in. You can, you can disagree and we can be in fellowship with one another, you know, uh, over it. So uh, that's really been helpful for us because that list that's shorter has allowed us to concentrate on, on the things that really matter to us. And at Liberty, um, that's really been the the mortar that's held all the bricks together. You know, every college, every Institute of higher learning has, you know, academics, obviously, um, and has athletics, obviously, you know, and and these different and then social life, cultural life at Liberty, spiritual life isn't something on the outside that's trying to attach itself you know to the to to the institution the the inside the very core of what we do is we train champions for christ right and so oh uh, i don't have any pressure from our professors i don't have any pressure from our staff from my boss a president to water down the gospel you know right. to water which is why we've been able to grow. Um, you know, convocation for us is a, is a platform of ideas. Uh, convocation for us is where we bring in all kinds of people that we don't agree with. We have guests like, you know, a lot of guests who don't agree with our faith, a lot of guests who, um, in their sexual orientation, don't see eye to eye with, you know, traditional Christian values. Um, I mean, convocation is a wide range of, of ideas that we want to expose our students to so that they have a, a spiritual immune system that they've built out. That said, our Bible study on Wednesday nights, which has now grown to be the largest weekly Bible study in America, um, has uh, has become this place where we expositionally teach the truth. We tell the truth, and we let the chips fall where they may. And that's been really, really fruitful for us, uh, Bill, um, because, because we've been able to hold our surf. And, and the, the irony on that is, Higher education thinks that they'll lose people if they um, give up, you know, unless they they just come across very like, you know, open handed and open minded. We've seen the opposite. We've seen exponential growth because we've stayed traditional in our beliefs. As a university,
0: and and I think that's important because there you are saying when we're going to have the Bible study, we're narrowing it down to the non-negotiables. We're we are going to explain to you the difference between legalism and and a call which the Bible is filled with to holiness and obedience. Holiness and obedience isn't the same thing as legalism, and we're going to teach you. We're not going to apologize for talking about holiness and talking about obedience. You know why? Because the Bible talks about it all the time. And so we want you to understand the difference and then we'll bring you these people into convocation that you may push back on some of the things that you hear, but then what would you say to them? Have we trained you to defend the faith in a way? Because, you know, we talk about at Liberty, if I'm sending people out to impact whatever field God calls them to for the kingdom of God, and to take the church out it doesn't do any good if what they take out isn't really the church yeah and 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 so it, we don't chase these rabbits that now lead to nothing we you know hopefully i love this idea of sending them out that they have the concepts of the gospel and what it looks like to be truly redeemed and then you can go out in the world and you when you're making an impact you're actually making an impact in the right way and i like that you're not apologizing for that i've said this with men's ministry you know, which God kinda of has me solidified in now. I think part of the reason why men turn away from the church so much is the church has presented basically a spiritual participation trophy. Yeah. You know, and, and so the, the men are kinda of like, Well, there's nothing to this. I guess you can do whatever you want to. Uh, and and you know, and so when you start saying, No, really, if you look at Matthew seven, you look at first John, you look at John fourteen, John fifteen, actually Jesus is calling you to a very high standard and to say that he can't change you doesn't really say much about Jesus. And, right. uh, and, and then when, then a guy looks at him and said, wait a minute, did Jesus say that only a few go through a narrow gate, only a few find the truth? Yeah. Matter of fact, following Jesus is difficult, and most of us aren't man enough to do it. Well, now you got a whole new game. You know, now, right. n- now somebody says, okay, well, t- teach me where that comes from. And ultimately we know it comes from the power of Christ, not anything we can accomplish David, tell us,
1: tell us too, uh, just real quick. You, you know, we got the closed hand issues, the open hand. Where are the issues that were you 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 meet the most trouble? That that yeah. are the most difficult for the young today, and maybe the staff at Liberty, and yeah. for you uh, dealing with. I, I assume they would reflect society to some degree.
2: They do, man. You're you're dead on. I mean, Bill, it's the same stuff that your listeners. And the South is no longer immune to it. You know, it uh, used to be like you had New York, you had L.A., and then you had everything fly by. But now the world is very much ingrained. I mean, there's there's pockets of different thoughts and views everywhere you go. And so we, we get all that. I would say right now our students feel like um, when it comes to the race issue, for example, which right. has been, right. you know, obviously front center in the last few weeks with what we saw, you know, with a tragic murder and, um, you know, our students want to know what does the Bible teach about that, and what I've learned is a lot of times they look to culture for subjective opinion. Uh, sadly, a lot of pastors just keep giving subjective opinion when they, what they really need is objective truth. Right. You know. Amen. Uh, and so, so what we do, for example, with the with the race issue, which is a hot button for us, because we have every race represented there, every you know ethnicity represented there is we go to scripture and we dig deep. We drill in and we say, look, this isn't so much about a, a skin issue as much as a sin issue. You know, um, It's the heart of a man. When, when that police officer takes his badge and decides to take the oath and the badge and the authority given to him and not use it to protect and serve, there's something bigger going on. And so you can deal with the symptoms all day, but there's something bigger going on. It's the heart of man. You know, right. when someone... Is angry at injustice and they decide to take it out on vengeance, you know, with a brick in their hand and put it through the window, there's something bigger going on. And so I would say the race issue is big for us because it's big in the world. I mean, we we have a bubble on the inside, but we're not immune to what's going on on the outside. And so uh, there's the race issue, there's the uh, sexual identity issue, you know. Uh, I think the church is afraid a lot of times to speak about the race issue. The mm. church is really afraid to speak about. That. What I mean by that is, they'll they'll do some virtue they'll do some virtue signaling. You know, it's, it, it costs nothing for a pastor to put a black screen on his Instagram, and I'm not I'm not discounting those who did that. It costs nothing for them to get on the internet and put an MLK picture up and a and a Bible verse under it. It, it doesn't cost a lot. It costs some, but not a lot. It takes a whole lot more to say, how do we mentor young men in the inner city? How do we do after school tutoring? How do we bring the police officers, the 99.99% that are the good guys, in with some inner city leaders and have not just the dialogue, but have community? You know, how do we become solution oriented? But what happens is our students sometimes don't know what the Bible really believes about those things. The same is true about sexual identity right now. You know, our students don't want to come across like they're not loving. They don't want to come across like they're being rude. And so they um, a lot of times feel like they're just in the corner silent. And so we want to give them we want to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. So we want to give them, you know, biblical narrative. We want to give them scriptural content um, to be able to speak into the life of, Their friends who may be struggling with those kind of things. Um, Obviously, too, I would say politics is a big part of it. It's a big part of our culture. Liberty's always been a place where the political political conversation has been, you know, hot to trot. I mean, we have a lot of politicians that come our way on both sides of the aisle. And um, and so a lot of our students right now are are um, either like sometimes too turned on by politics or so turned off that they've, t- they've walked away. And we try to teach them a balance of politics being a, um, a vehicle by which they can walk into the things that matter the most to them. Um, but just to get back to your question, one last thought. The number one issue that our students are passionate about in culture is the right to life issue. I mean, that is where the claps get the loudest. That is where the claps become standing ovations. Um, at Liberty, when we begin to say, how do we, how do we stand for the unborn? Not just be a voice for them, but how do we solve the issue, you know, of seeing uh, less people see the taking of an innocent life of a child, uh, you know, as an option. So, yeah, those are the, I mean, those are the issues that we deal with. The, the problem is a lot of our students don't really know what the Bible believes about these things. Yeah. Well, so let me, once let me, we give them the truth. Yeah it gives them something to say at the water cooler, you know? What do you think, David?
0: I'm sorry to interrupt you because I didn't want to leave that for just a minute because I actually was surprised by that and pleasantly surprised because I'm seeing, you know, having, you know, some kids that are in the college age right now, even versus the ones that have left college and are now 30, 29, which that's not a really big window. That's a pretty small window. But I can see in the younger, the the 19-year-old and the the 21-year-old, uh, especially in the 19-year-old, I'm starting to see there's become this th- these young ones that, ma- that flip that switch that says, no, I'm not going to be like y'all were, Dad, where like 90% of y'all were cultural Christians and this was a, a, a cultural experience to you. I'm either all in or I'm all yes. out, or I'm all out. And, and, and so what I'm seeing is this. They don't really like this in-between. And they're and they're desperate for somebody just to say, "Tell me who we are as followers of yes. Jesus. Tell us what we say and and, and I, I'm with you. Do you see that there it sounds like it's a yes that won't because when I was coming up, and, and it's sad to say this, I was easily, even as claiming to be a Christian, drifted into the, well, look, I don't know where life begins, uh, and I certainly don't think you should you know take a baby's life at a certain time, but hey, if it's early, you're terminating a pregnancy. You're not killing a person. Now, I went to church and, and somehow still was allowed to think that. Do you think now these younger people realize, wait a minute, no, we we absolutely know where life begins, and, and there's a certain almost like this is going to, I hope, is going to be a change in a generation that the, the, the thinking of this as birth control is not going to be as uh, laissez-faire as it once was? It doesn't sound like it.
2: No, I mean, listen, man. Let me just affirm what you what you're sensing. Um, there is definitely uh, a, the, the, the soft middle is going away. You know, at Liberty University, we're having honest, raw conversations with our students saying, look, um, this might not be for you. Uh, Jesus is getting what he wants. Yep. You know, he, he wants the lukewarm out. He's like, you know, uh, go cold or go hot, you know, go all in. And so we're seeing a lot of students who realized that, you know, just mere church attendance and just singing a bunch of Christian songs and a worship service and all these things have just left them um, empty at the end of the day. And it's just put a coat of paint on the outside of something that's pretty hollow on the inside. And we're seeing a rise up of little spiritual boys that are sitting down and men standing up. Yeah, you know? mm. And Jesus isn't afraid of that. That's why with the rich young ruler, he loves him enough to say, if you want to be one of mine, if you want to be a disciple, go sell everything that you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And what he was saying is the things you own, own you. And I want to own you. I want complete ownership, complete surrender. And we're seeing a lot of our students make that decision and say, you know what? I don't want to be trivial in my face. I want to go all in. And once they go all in, then the things that God is all in about, which is the sanctity of life, the things that God is all in about, they become all in about, you know? David, do you—go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, it demotes what um, someone else has to say about it, and it promotes what God has to say about it, you know? Um, I think a lot of times when you're 19 years old and uh, every celebrity you follow on Instagram, you know— is, is just wants to come across inclusive you're just afraid to speak up truth and what i've learned by the way is a lot of our students don't know how to speak up truth because all they've ever seen is either like bashing you know mm-hmm. or condoning they've never seen like you can be compassionate without condoning and so we've given them language um uh, if i can like let me give you let me give you an idea uh, just an example of it um, we came to our students last year and we said, look, uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to like same sex attraction, for example, w- we've got to get to where, you know, the language by which you can walk into the life of your friends. By the way, when I say friends, I'm not just talking about friends that don't go to Liberty. We have students at Liberty sure. who struggle with same sex sure. attraction a, a lot. And-, and we want them to be able to be open. And so we, we came down and we-, we came into language for them. And when you equip them and say, attraction is not a sin, you know, if if, if you're attracted to someone of another sex, that's not a sin. Not that you would exercise it into temptation, but that there would be an attraction. Attraction is not a sin. Association gets muddy. It's not necessarily a sin, but be careful who puts a badge on you to identify you as something that God doesn't put on you, you know. And then action, that's where God has clearly set a line. And so, You've got to begin to have like – so once we gave our students the attraction, association, action language, we gave our students a way to walk into the life of their friends and and literally be able to be an advocate for a friend who struggles with attraction. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, And so that kind of language equips our students to be able to walk in and hold serve. But no one's for a lot of our students, no one's done that because they've just been afraid that they give it if they give it any language, they'll come across, you know, unloving or they'll come across too condemning. And so in those kind of things, what we've learned is when we give our students language, the same with race, you know, that, hey, it's ultimately a hard issue. But then there's a race issue, you know, and the race issue is it's complex. You know, it's there are people who are at a disadvantage in this world. Because of where they're from and, you know, the color of their skin and the places, you know, and that, that far away for us is global, not just in America. Right. And so how do we navigate? Through? When we give them when we give them language, it's really helped our students to be able to to navigate through.
1: David, the, the general uh, uncaring for life, which you, you mentioned the issue uh, beginning with abortion. Do you, do you think that, that that general mindset that has been very prevalent in our country now for many, many years, do we see that manifest itself when a police officer will keep his knee on somebody who maybe he has a record or has had trouble with or just had a fight with? Is that the way it manifests itself through society, you think?
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Yes, I, I think that and that's where I think the language that our students are really gravitating to more than uh, pro-life is whole life, are, is that we should see the man that was murdered and the man that's the murderer as someone who is made in the image of God by God himself, an image bearer of God. And when they when they bear the image of the enemy instead of bearing the image of God, something's broken in them. And so, you know, it, it's it's an... It's take whether it's a police officer who takes who takes his authority and misuses it to take something that doesn't belong to him. Right. Or it's an angry young person who feels like everything all my life has been uphill for me. And so if you're going to take something that doesn't belong to you, I'm going to go take a TV that doesn't belong to me, which is still wrong. Or whether it's someone who says having this baby is inconvenient in this stage of my life. And so I'll just discard of it. All of that is rooted in not seeing an individual uh, as someone who is within their dignity, seeing them in their fullness. Uh, we call it honor. you know honor is seeing people in their full dignity, seeing them in both their depravity and their dignity, seeing them both in their potential and their pitfalls-. Mm-hmm. And so how do we honor, just as God has honored us and just as God has commanded us to honor people, how do we honor everybody, you know? Um, and so it's a dishonor of a life when we see it as less than, you know? Um, Paul says, in humility, count others more significant as yourself, That's right? right? Mm-hmm. In, Philippi- in Philippians. But right before that, he says, do nothing out of selfish gain or conceit. What is selfish gain? That's when a politician sees what's happening with the racial divide right now and uses it for selfish gain. Or That's when right. um, a pastor sees, sees this as an opportunity to sell his book or somebody. Selfish gain is, is really, really ugly. And then conceit is when you think of yourself as more than other people, you know. And so the antidote to all of this is humility, Paul says. And, and so when you have a humble posture and you see people, all, all people is valuable to God then you become an advocate. Now, for the unborn, for the unborn, they can't speak for themselves. And so it is our responsibility to speak for them. We had Bernie Sanders on um, as a guest. And, you know, as a socialist, you know, he wants free education, free medication, free, you know, food. Free... And I, I did a QA and a with him. And, and I asked, you know, Senator Sanders, I said, This was at a convocation for us. I said, Senator Sanders, we want what you want. As a Christian, I don't want a kid to go to bed hungry. I don't want any sex trafficking in my communities. I don't want we want what you want. Um, But you talk about the most vulnerable and our responsibility to them because he talked about them, you know, talking about the inner city kid. I said, but do you see how we as believers see even? Yes, that's a vulnerable person, but we see even the most most vulnerable as the child in the womb. And he said, you know, I, I hear you, but I just don't see eye to eye with you, you know. But yeah, sure. for us, it becomes about a dignity issue. Right. Um, yeah. David, let
1: me ask you this, and I'll wrap up on this. The, you talked about the principles we hold, and you talked about the Bible and the fact that we do believe it's inherent word of God. What about people who disagree with that point, where, where they're not even going to let us use our manual for life, in the conversation, maybe because of where they're from, their politics, their culture, uh, whatever, where they they really think there is no concept to that. How do you continue on that, that topic then?
2: Yeah, well, I'm, a, I'm literally a walking testimony of a person who didn't take the Bible seriously, rolled my eyes when I saw somebody on TVN, like have it out, or on TV, or when a preacher came... But what made me take the Bible seriously, what made me take the Word of God seriously was the people of God living out the Word of God. And so I saw Christians who were Christ-like. I saw believers who were believable. And so someone can maybe ask you not to share a Bible verse. You, they might even press that down on you in the culture you live in where they don't want you to put it on a birthday card at work, you know, when everybody's signing one for yeah. the guy, the cubicle next to them. But what they can't stop you from doing is living out the Bible, you know, being the fruit of the spirit, showing goodness, self-control, kindness, you know, so love. And so I think the acid test that we are a people whose instruction manual is the word of God uh, is that people see it exuded in our lives. They see during the, like this moment right here that rather than pandering to one or the other, that we just we hate racism and we show it in the way that we show up you know, um, at the soup kitchen every Wednesday, not by what we tweet, but, but what we do in life. And so, you know, to me, that that's how you combat someone not really taking the word seriously. The, the reason people don't take the Bible seriously a lot of times is because they see a people who claim the word of God, but then contradict it in the trenches of life.
0: Yeah. and And, um, and thinking that social media... You know is enough I, I put something out on social media so that that's all i need to do and um you, you make a great point I, I i can't tell you the number of people that did not believe the bible was true that said yeah. the truth that i saw it and i know one example of you know a guy who whose who's small child had just died and you know the person who was you know a follower of jesus was there with them didn't know them stayed with them started talking about scripture started going through all this and it gets down hours and hours into the night, and then the guy finally looks at him and said, well, I just wish I could see a sign. Mm. And, and the response was, I am your sign. I'm not this good a person. Yeah. If, if, if I was not a follower of Jesus, I would have heard your story and said, man, that's unfortunate, but I certainly wouldn't be here for hours on end sitting here with you as long as you need me to. Yeah. I, I am your sign.
2: Yeah, and, two, uh, two thoughts uh, on that. Like Number one, um, our students, we're trying to teach them social media etiquette, whether they take the advice or not, you know, by just, by the way we exemplify it. And so one of the things that I, I hold as a personal conviction and other people can hold that. It's not unbiblical. If they use social media for other Mm -hmm. ways, but is, Hey, when something happens before you begin to just pontificate, pause, ask the Lord, like, look, look inside. What can I do? What, what in my heart needs to be changed? And then be a part of the solution. You know, let your first thing not be what you say out loud, you know, uh, Recently, people have been asking me, are you going to say something about what's going on? I'm like, man, I, I'm I'm meeting with officials locally and domestically on how I can be a part of the solution of what we're saying. You know, and I don't feel like I owe somebody. I have to say something just so people think, you know, I'm not a racist, you know. Right. And so there has to be better etiquette in the way we handle social media um, and then past that we let people off the hook when they just post something a lot of times, you know, they think there's, there's a whole lot of not enough going on a whole lot of people that do just enough at a distance where it's safe and not enough, you know, to actually get in the weeds and do the difficult work of, uh, reconciliation, you know? So we're trying to be that example to our students. By the way, we don't bat a thousand. I fail them all the time. Uh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, we all do. All the time. We all do. But, uh, no one's. I mean, hopefully, what they see is imperfection, obviously, but pursuit. You know.
0: Amen. David Nasser taking time to be with us. So good to talk to you, brother, and, and I appreciate you taking time and a great conversation. Hopefully, it's been something to all of you that have either watched this or listened to us. And Bubba and I both thank you for joining us on this edition of Rick and Bubba Universe. Hey, don't
2: leave. Hold on, hold on. Bubba, are you playing tennis?
0: Uh, haven't haven't played a lot lately, David.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How about you? Uh, I'm playing at two o'clock today with our good friend Chris Tomlin. We're down here at the beach for a few days, and so that'll be the first time in about four months.
1: Uh, well, I
0: got to say this: watch his backhand. He'll run around his forehand.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know.
0: Tell tell him that uh, that we're just, we're hoping so much that he, that he didn't come up with some new praise song out of his experience of playing you in tennis. That's right. <laughs> good to he, see he you, David. The guitar,
2: but he's not that great at tennis. <laughs>
0: All right. Show no mercy, brother. Not, not, a, hey, not in sports. Man,
2: thanks for doing all you're doing. No, you guys no. are amazing.
0: Now, thank
1: you for being on the front line, David. Yeah. You're doing a great job. We miss you here, but I know God's using you in a mighty way.
0: Amen.
2: Next time I come through, I'm going to come in the morning and
0: sit in. Yeah, please do. And we we I always like enjoy that. i right, see you, buddy. Thanks a lot. I love you both. Love you too, and uh, know that we're with you. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Rick and Bubba University. <laughs>